it could be J.J. Watt, who's, ah, like, pretty formidable. He's a Texan. True. He is a Texan. Like, he right? You know, like, like, literal a, Texan. A literal Texan. All right, so um, he's not out of it by any means. But what about no, him going not. up against, like, a Titan? Like So a, a Titan, yeah. Titan's I mean, a pretty formidable opponent. That thing's going to mess with you. It is, and there's really no counter to that, right? It's like a mythical creature. So, right. like, how do you how do you beat that? Um, I mean – it's definitely not going to be a stealer, right? Because that's like a steel. I assume that's like some kind of steel mill like a worker. Steel worker, yeah. That guy is definitely working like a hundred hours a week. He definitely was named before there were any labor laws, <laughs> right? Like sure. that guy is getting paid minimum wage, and he's definitely got all kinds of medical problems. He's not no room to fight. Tight. No, certainly not. Um, the Ravens Denver, are screwed. Oh yeah, totally. The bird. The bird teams are all out. They're out. Which, you know, there's way more birds in the NFC, and we're really it doing is. an AFC battle here. Well, sure. Um, we, you know, Dolphins, Ravens, uh, Colts, Jaguars, all those just regular animals, like yeah. those things. Yeah, and, and the Colts and the Broncos, like horses. Oh, Broncos. Yeah, yeah. I mean, get on. out of here, Broncos. Come on, get out of here. So, I mean, a Raider, I mean. Like a pirate? <sighs> Pirate's pretty badass. Yeah. I mean, Definitely much more formidable than the product on the field, right? Look, um, we're not we're right. not knocking the Raiders for their mascot. I feel no, like right. the mascot is by far the coolest part about the Raiders. Oh, for sure. And now um, they're located in Las Vegas. That's well, also right. pretty cool. Exactly. Uh, what is a Charger? I don't know. Maybe a Charger could be a Titan because I don't know what a Charger is. I know what the Chargers are. They are a perennial disappointment. So, <laughs> so we're going to look it up, and it's going to be like a phone charger. It's yeah, going to be like something yeah, completely exactly. disappointing. It's going to be an iPhone charging block that comes with your phone. The charging cable is going to get shredded whenever you use it for more than you know <laughs> two or three days at a time. Oh, you got to go buy guys. a replacement. The aftermarket products are terrible. Oh, it'll be terrible. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be disappointing. Whatever it is, it'll just be a disappointment. It will. The Patriots, I mean, you know, we're talking about a dude here, but, you know, uh, Patriots are cool. Dude, some of them, some of them totally suck, though. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. You know, Benedict Arnold, he was a Patriot, and then <laughs> he was a, he was a traitor and a turncoat. And, you know, I feel like that's sort of a metaphor for, like, the whole Patriots franchise, maybe. And Buffalo Bill know. would obviously mess Benedict Arnold up good. Yeah, are we sure, though, that the Bills are named after Buffalo Bill? Because... I'm a little bit confused by that. It's Buffalo Bills, plural, and the mascot is not a dude. It's a buffalo, right? So, well, it's a buffalo because they're from Buffalo. They're the Buffalo, Buffalo, Buffalo. Dollar, um, dollar Bills. Buffalo uh, Bills. Bills. Oh, no, know? that's good. I'm surprised they don't lean into that pretty they hard. They definitely should. Uh, the Jets. Is this like a sentient jet? Like, what kind of jet are we talking about? Ah, does it have a fighter pilot or not? Because if not, it's just sitting on the runway. Right. And not then, doing anything the patriot or the Steeler even could <laughs> the Steeler like commandeer the yeah that's good. yeah uh the bengal nah it's come on it's just nah, a cat right just cat. you know yeah, uh right. the browns so <laughs> what what is poop right yeah well it's definitely poop but i mean they're named after paul brown which yeah. by the way pretty weird that they like named the team after their coach slash owner whatever the situation was there come yeah on. the browns don't make any sense to me pass uh, our Chiefs, uh, not the best, not the best track record. Um, <laughs> no. If we're being honest, no. um, kind of, yeah, not not the greatest. No. Um, Much better on the football field than they were in yes. the, on the battlefield. Yes, that is very true. I feel like we'd have to go with the, the Titans. Titans here, right? The Titans. I mean, have to. 
there's no hard counter to a mythical beast giant yeah yeah so as much as uh the tennessee titans fans and their marcus Mariota nonsense annoyed us their mascot for sure would win an afc mascot battle coming out of the afc the titans stay tuned for the nfc Hey, welcome back, everybody, to It's Always Sunny in Chief's Kingdom. This is the second episode of the podcast. If you haven't checked out the first episode yet, put a pause on this. Take a five. Take a five. Go listen to episode one. Then come back. We'll still be here. I'm Austin. I'm Taylor. And we're back with another episode, another edition. What we're going to be doing here today, uh, we're going to talk a little uh, Chiefs-Jaguars action. We decided uh, we were going to go through each week of the season, kind of leading up to the Super Bowl, just talk about our thoughts coming into those games and coming out of those games, some things that stuck out to us. So we'll recap way back in week one of the 2019 season with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Way back in September. Feels like, uh, you know, we were just getting into the groove of things. We were fired up for our defending MVP to go out there and see what else he could do after his 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards. And Jacksonville was a really, really tough defense the year before in 2018. So that was a, a tough road test for the Chiefs right off the bat. Yeah, and then after we're done talking about our matchup with the Jacksonville Jaguars, we're going to answer some of your mailbag questions. You guys gave us a ridiculous number of mailbag questions. We loved it. And for now, we're going to try to answer every single one of those. You guys may get to a point where you just completely overwhelm us. But for now, we're going to try to get through all of them. So let's get into it. You want to talk about the Jags? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, that Jaguar is fierce. I've never been (laughs) turned on by a Jaguar before. This has totally changed my mind on Jaguars. I think the first thing that stands out to me from this game that everyone probably thinks of when they think of that week one game is Sammy Watkins. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and he, the, the very, very first drive, the third pass of the game was that Sammy over the middle. He had been disappointing the year before. We weren't quite sure what to think of him at least I know I wasn't Um, I'm still not sure what to think of him and that's fair for sure but going into that game you know we did think that he had the pedigree to where if he could kind of figure it all out that offense was going to take another step and from the moment he took that pass from Pat and went 68 yards to the house I just remember thinking like oh man we're going to go undefeated this year yeah same and what was so fascinating about that first drive really the first couple of drives until the Tyree kill injury which we'll talk about in a minute is you know you you had this whole weird dynamic. You, you're going into the draft, the night of the draft, that Tyreek Hill audio comes out. You're thinking, well, we're not going to have Tyreek Hill. Then we draft Nicole Hardman, and then we get Tyreek Hill back. Right. And everybody's healthy coming into that game, and we're thinking, well, this is going to be easy. We're going to score 50 points a game. And then on the first drive of the game, I mean, we saw nothing to dispute it, right? They, the defenses looked overmatched at every throw that we made. And as I said earlier, a really, really good Jaguars defense. Yeah, it is for sure. And you knew they had to be fired up after the uh, war of words back in 2018 to get their uh, second chance at Patrick Mahomes. Um, I think what's fascinating about this too is 
pretty quickly uh, into the game, you have this Tyree Kill injury. And so he had 12 snaps on the game. Right. And so everything that we kind of expected to happen did happen in the sense that almost immediately the Chiefs offense is without Tyree Kill. We've been hearing, you know, all summer, are the Chiefs going to have Tyree Kill? Is he going to get suspended? You know, right up until the beginning of training camp, it seemed like he might at least get two or four games. And so you're thinking the whole summer, the Chiefs have been thinking, well, you know, we might not have Tyree Kill. We'll have him at the end of the year, we think. Right. But we might not have him for the first couple of games. So you think the game plan probably is going to involve a little bit more McCall Hardman, who got, I think, close to 80% of the snaps in this game. Right. And that ended up being what happened, even though it was because of an injury and not because of a suspension. And I do wonder if the team, which was preparing, you know they were preparing without Ty. And, and I wonder if that kind of helped them suffer that injury and at least keep clicking a little bit more than if they had suffered an injury to pretty much anyone else on the team, just sure. because they had, they had considered reality without Ty as recently as a few days before that game. And they, they figured that, you know, we would have to, I'm sure they got Michael Harbin way up to speed on the offense earlier than they would have otherwise. And then the moment he goes down, they probably were thinking, okay, we were, we were ready for this. And, and what was interesting about that was at first, you know, when he first leaves the game, the offense did not miss a beat 23 points in the first half right? and 17 in the first quarter. Right. And so just scoring at will. And, and one of those was a field goal drive where Pat tried another no look pass Hmm. in the end zone and just happened to float it over Travis Kelsey's head, but he was open. I mean, essentially the offense looked unstoppable even after Hill went out with an injury and then Pat gets hurt. Yes. Yeah. The ankle injury was the one that sparked his whole, the whole season of Pat suffering injuries and battling through adversity with his health. And he, he gets stepped on, he goes over to the tent. And I mean, I know you and I as diehard Mahomes are our hearts dropped seeing him go into that injury tent. I never want to see that ever again. And I mean, obviously we will go into what we saw later in the year, but it was horrible. It was a horrible feeling, but then fortunately for everyone, he didn't even miss a snap. He didn't. And what's so interesting about that game, and I think this is going to end up being a theme as we kind of break these games down week to week, but you saw the Chiefs adjust the way they called that game almost immediately. As soon as he comes back into the game, not only because of the limited mobility by their quarterback, their MVP, but also Tyree Kill being out of the game. And so mm-hmm. suddenly it's a lot more shorter passes, screens, um, the, the quicker passes, getting the ball out a lot faster right. against that pass rush. And I really think, I mean, I think, you know, it's a little bit early. We're talking about week one uh, to kind of come up with sort of broad themes for the season. But I really do feel like, to your point, uh, this was a moment that really helped the Chiefs through the rest of the year and through their playoff run being forced to adapt. Right. They are notorious for being able to make adjustments. They always have been. Um, I think about mostly Andy Reid's matchups with Bill Belichick, but also clearly when players go down with injuries, I mean, and especially when you're led by Pat Mahomes, it just seems like the train keeps on rolling no matter what's going on. You know, Pat throws for 378 yards and the, and the three touchdowns of Sammy Watkins, I do want to get back to him real quick because he was phenomenal this entire game. Nine catches. He was all over the field, 198 yards, had the best opening week of any chief wide receiver of all time. And I just remember my feeling was, we'll be okay. We lost Ty. We've got 
we've got superstar Sammy Watkins back, who we thought we were signing last year. And we've got Michael Hardman now, who, as you said, played a lot of snaps. And, you know, he didn't end up getting a uh, target that game, but he was out on the field and moving around and he returned kicks. And he looked like he was at least going to be a valuable part of the offense. And let's not forget, this was the debut of Shady McCoy. It was, and he had a great debut. Um, We all had to kind of get used to the fact that LaShawn McCoy carries the ball like an asshole. Uh, (laughs) And that ultimately proved to be his undoing, I think, as a chief. Uh, But he certainly had a great debut, uh, 81 yards, averaging over eight yards a pop, uh, had a little bit of work in the, uh, the passing game as well. And this was just after a couple of weeks with the team. Right. And I I do quickly, you said that you thought that his carrying would be his undoing. I wonder how much of it was age and him wearing down versus his ball security. He's always had that carrying style and it's never really been too big of an issue as far as the fumbles go. And I mean, he had the one big one, uh, I believe against the Packers uh, later on in the year, but he definitely had a couple of big ones in a row, as I recall. But I feel like he probably lost it due to losing some gas more than it was a doghouse situation. Yeah, and I there's really no way to tell. Obviously, he wasn't even Andy, active. Right, he wasn't active for the last several games or any of the playoff games. He's Andy's dude. You know, if yeah. he was in his doghouse. He would have given him some token carries in the Super Bowl. He would have been active. He would have been like, even if he was like, all right, you're not going to get the ball in important situations or whatever. I just still feel like, you know, we couldn't even keep him out on the field. And that's not a doghouse situation. That's a, that's a, you lost it in my opinion. Yeah. And it could also just be that Damian Williams obviously really came on at the end of the year too. Um, Going back to Sammy Watkins, by the way, I just was confirming this, but you know, Sammy Watkins after that three TD performance in week one did not have another touchdown until the Tennessee playoff game right? in, in week 20. <laughs> yeah. Jim Nance said his last touchdown was week one when, when he scored that touchdown. I mean, it was a, I'm, I'm so confused about Sammy because yeah. his physical ability is so there and he was yeah. dominant in the playoffs. He was our best was. receiver and he was and he clearly has the the physical tools to do it he just there was just something off in the regular season and maybe it's a target share situation i don't know he didn't really ever do much though and it's it's not even an injury thing necessarily not anymore not this year right it's always been well the injuries well he was injured again this year like he always is right but he he was healthy ostensibly healthy for most of the regular season he played 14 games this year he was invisible um we'll get into more sammy watkins talk as we get kind of into the offseason right now it kind of feels like he's the most obvious cap casualty and i know we have a mailbag question about kind of how the team would deal with that yeah um any other takeaways from jacksonville i mean just kind of broad takeaways. Uh, they missed the last five minutes of the game on the broadcast they had they the, certainly the did. truck fire <laughs> yeah. or whatever it was and frank clark got an interception that i remember we were begging for video of on twitter oh, yeah. for the next week or so before i guess someone finally I, I i remember seeing it but i don't know where that angle came from but uh nick Foles obviously getting hurt was a uh, big storyline for the jags that whole season that that was tough to see as a as a former chief and Eagle that I think everyone in chief's kingdom likes Nick Foles quite a bit. And I was uh, excited to see what he would do. And now I don't really know what the Jags are going to do between he and Minshew. I would expect 
probably fulls next year, I would think. But who knows? We'll see. We'll see. I, I mean, there are definitely are more quarterbacks out there than there are teams that have starting quarterback spots. So that's definitely going to be an interesting thing to kind of keep an eye on. What was funny about that truck fire is, you know, they told us that they were switching to a more competitive game. Yes. And people freaked out. <laughs> yes. And then they were like, oh, yeah, actually it was a truck fire. But then it actually, it, it was a truck problem. I, that was a, a weird way to start the year off. It was a weird game. It was. It was, for sure. And, you know, the Chiefs put up 40. Pat got hurt for a little bit. Ty got knocked out early. And they go out and they straight up dominate with Sammy Watkins and put up 40 points. And I do remember thinking after the game, like, man, there's just not a whole lot that can bring this team down at this point. We, I, I felt as good about our Super Bowl prospects after week one as I probably felt all year. And you were proven correct. I was. We won yeah. the Super Bowl. Spoiler alert for those who haven't watched the Super Bowl yet. But you're right. I mean, it, it, it was a – there was a sense coming into it of inevitability for this team. And then there were some bumps even in that first game, the injury Certainly. to Tyreek Hill, the injury to Pat Mahomes – and then we came out and it dominated the game anyway. And so you're thinking like, well, what could stop this team? And the right. answer ended up being nothing. <laughs> but we did have the same bumps kind of throughout the season. This, this first game is a really interesting kind of microcosm of how the whole year went. You've got some stretches where the team looks completely unstoppable. Right. You have some stretches where the defense looks like it's going to be our undoing again when Gardner Minshew unknown sixth round quarterback Gardner Minshew comes into the game and starts just cutting us up in the second half 22 of 25 for 275 yards and two touchdowns he was phenomenal he was and I remember people saying at the time well I mean the Chiefs defense still sucks Gardner Minshew cut him up turns out Gardner Minshew is actually pretty okay yeah he cut up a lot of people yeah, he ended up he ended up cutting up some other people as well. Cut up the Broncos in Denver. Uh, cut up the Oakland Raiders in their last game in the Coliseum. Yeah, so, but who who didn't cut up the Raiders and the Broncos this year? Well, that's fair. Uh, that's that's completely fair. But you know, turns out he might actually be a pretty good player. Yep, yep, he will. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, all I've got for the Jacksonville game. It was a nice start to the season. It was a good way to kind of shake off the rust of the AFC championship game and get back to the scoring a lot of points and winning games and all that stuff. And I think it was a, a good battle early for these guys going on the road in week one to a hostile environment and blowing them up. Yeah, that ended up being, um, if memory serves, it was the second year in a row that we had opened two on the road, which you normally, you hate to see it. Uh, <laughs> but for us, I kind of, I mean, the last two years we've opened on the road 2-0 and each time. And man, if you can bank two road wins in your first two games, you got eight, you got eight home games left with two road wins in the bag. Sign me up for that. Yep, for sure. All right, so... We took care of Jags. That was that was. We nice. did take care of them. We 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 took care of them. Uh, I'd say we have enough in the mailbag that we might as well dip into that and see what comes out of it. You, sure. You ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we started off uh, two very similar questions. Uh, one from Zach the Lame Shift the Rose Bowl Right Parade Man at the Layman's Terms, and from Justin Trong Justin Trong at or at Justin Trong. And uh, the, Zach, Zach's question was, what position do you want to see drafted first? And what player were you hoping fall to the Chiefs since we ended up with a terrible draft position? Terrible, obviously, being relative. <laughs> and Justin was draft realistic wish list. Now, 
I don't want this to be a cop-out answer, but it is a bit of a cop-out answer. I am not a draft guy. I, as far as pre-draft goes, if the Chiefs are in the top 10, I am extremely interested in who could be available Of there. course. Uh, it's really easy to figure out who teams would kind of go after, especially those first five, six, seven picks. And then you can kind of say, okay, between these three or four guys, who would I want? At 32 or really anywhere outside of 10, there are so many variables that despite knowing everything about every player that comes out and everything about all the NFL draft team needs and all that stuff, you just can't see coming. And right. I appreciate those fans that I see that post mock draft after mock draft after mock draft on, on Twitter. And they say, you know, here are the guys that I've mocked us in the first six rounds of the draft or what I, it doesn't really do it for me. I, I just feel that I, I know Brett Veach knows who's talented and I know he's going to make the best decision for the team. And I'll look into all the rookies the moment they're drafted right. and read up on everybody uh, that we pick, but I just don't have an answer here. Uh, same. And I'm, I've never really been a huge draft guy, although I find myself getting into it more and more, but to me, what's really interesting is the top of the draft, the top 10, and we haven't been picking there since Fisher for a long time. Um, right. And, and certainly not in the Andy era, except for the time we traded up to number 10. Mm, That was a good move. That was a, that was a good move. That was a very interesting night, uh, draft night. Um, same situation. I, I completely agree with where you're coming from. That being said, to to kind of answer these questions, I mean, I think we we probably are going to have pretty similar draft wishes to everybody else. I mean, the the Chiefs linebackers are terrible. Mm-hmm. We you can always use you know interior offensive linemen. We need cornerback depth. Cornerbacks, yeah. We have Charvarius Ward under contract. I think he's and basically Fenton, or, uh, he's yeah. basically at Fenton, Fenton. Fenton, sure, Fenton. Um, and then you know you can always use uh, you can always use receiver help. That's something you know. Yeah, we're gonna have a couple of receivers leave in free agency probably. So right. um, we definitely would be served well to pick up a, a receiver. I don't really know where in the draft though. I mean, it just kind of I I more would look at the positions that we fill in the draft than I would where each guy gets picked. I guess. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people project us with a running back at 32 i don't pass. quite see it right yeah, yeah. Pass, pass. um you know deandre swift's a really nice talent and if he falls to 32 and brett veach is sitting there and he was in love with him when he reviewed the tape and stuff that's the that's my thing at the end of the day if brett veach is picking the guy i'm i'm on board he has done it for me he is you know it, it's worked out to the point where if if he's going to pick a guy i'm not going to sit there and go oh veach you should have gone after you know whatever he's he is the professional i am the fan I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, you uh, you had a great segue to our next question until you started talking about running backs. We were just <laughs> going to shift straight from a wide receiver into this wide receiver-themed question. <laughs> Go for it. From Dorsey Sweater at Chiefs Burner. Would you be comfortable going into the season with a wide receiver core of Hill, Hardman, Pringle, Kemp, Dieter, mid-late round rookie, low-tier free agent? Or do you want a more sizable investment into the position? So I think – we're kind of on the same page you and I are about this. I think when you have an MVP quarterback who is 24 years old, he's going to make the players around him better. And your core guys, you already have under contract. You have Travis Kelsey, you have Tyree kill, mm-hmm. and you have a really good developmental piece in McCole Hardman, who obviously has the talent to be, uh, an extremely valuable offensive weapon and is going to be coming into his second season. I mean, you're really looking at 
what you would hope is that Hardman, even though he's not quite the same guy, he's not quite as elusive, as shifty as Tyreek Hill is, you're hoping he can make a similar leap that Tyreek Hill made from his first season when he was really more of a gadget guy to his second season where he was an amazing wide receiver. I mean, really, you had an argument in his second season that he was an elite wide receiver. And then obviously in his third year, really blew the gates off that conversation. Right. I mean, we've seen Patrick Mahomes turn Albert Wilson into uh, an elite wide receiver against, you know, uh, some Broncos starters (laughs) in his very first NFL start on the road. Sure. You know, Albert Wilson wasn't even supposed to dress for the art. He, he dressed, obviously, but he wasn't supposed to play in that game. So it wasn't like he was getting a lot of reps with Albert Wilson. Albert Wilson owes Pat about $15 million. Yeah, for on sure. On that contract he signed with the Dolphins. Because while he had a good showing at the end of that year, or at, during that year for sure in 2017, he left a great taste in the mouth of everyone who went after him in free agency. Yeah. There was probably a bit of a bidding war going on. He, he looked at the end of it with Pat throwing to him, like he was a bona fide stud. And clearly, as we've seen afterward, now he's been a little bit injured in Miami, but he was never as good in Miami as he was in that week 17 game. And I think that's Pat. That That's very clearly Pat putting the ball right on his hands every single time, doing his Pat magic and stuff. And I'm a huge believer in if, if Andy's dialing up the plays and Pat's throwing the ball, I think everyone's going to be fine. And I... I guess the core of the question is, would you be okay with the wide receiver core going into the next year? Yeah, I would. I would. I don't think we need to necessarily um, invest heavily. I think we should probably get some depth, but I don't think it needs to be a splash move. We don't need to go out and get AJ Green or anything like that. Our next question was from Bradley at Baker KC1838. Do you have a breakdown of our contract situation at defensive end? Tano, Agba, Okafor, Clark, Speaks, et cetera. And I do. 2020 unrestricted free agents. So the people that we will have to figure out something this offseason or they will not be on the team next year. Obviously, the big one's Stone Cold. Starts with Chris Jones, ends with Chris Jones. Nothing else really matters, but Chris Jones is the number one guy there. Uh, we've also got impending free agents, Xavier Williams, Mike Pennell, who I would love to see us retain, and Emmanuel Agba, who was awesome. He, he, he was. was a really great pickup. Uh, 2021, then, we have unrestricted free agent Tano Passigno. We would pay him $1.3 million next year, and then he would become a free agent. In 2022, we have Okafor, Speaks, and Nadi all becoming free agents. Um, Okafor's uh, salary is a little higher on uh, 7.2 and 7.9 million. Speaks and Nadi, very cheap, 1.6 and 1.9 million for Speaks, two years. Still on their rookie deals. Still on their rookie deals, and 1.0 and 1.1 for Nadi. And finally, our youngest uh, defensive end on or defensive lineman 2023 is Colin Saunders, and he's making just shy of a million dollars a year for the next three years. So that's the breakdown. I don't know if there's anything analytically more to say about that, but that's, uh, that's where they stand. So our next question comes from Damon at Bones Jackson 2. Is it possible the team can get creative and do something like a seven-year fully guaranteed deal below market deal, something like $30 million average? Mahomes seems self-aware to know better teammates help win. So I think this is a really interesting question, and there's a million different ways that the Mahomes contract can go. Um, we've seen one, to my knowledge, one fully guaranteed contract in NFL history. It was Kirk Cousins. That's correct. That now is going to be in its third is third year. And he took about somewhere in the neighborhood of 85 ish mm-hmm. million dollars over three years, three million. So it was short of 30 million a year. 
Um, and I think he would have gotten more annually had it been not fully guaranteed. So, so here's the logic behind fully guaranteed deals when it comes to the NFL. So if your contract is fully guaranteed, that means obviously you're going to get paid that money no matter what. And with the NFL salary cap situation, it also means that if the team wants to move on from you, they're going to eat that cap hit. And that's really the biggest issue. It's not necessarily the, the liquid assets that they're parting with. It's that if the Vikings decided to cut Kirk Cousins, his contract's fully guaranteed. So each year of that contract, if they were to wanting to move on from him, they're going to take a monster cap hit. And if they moved on, you know, after say the first year of that deal, they're looking at like $60 million in dead cap. <laughs> Which would be hilarious. So what's interesting about that when it comes to Pat Mahomes is this. The reason you move on from players in the NFL is either because they're not performing to the level that you're paying them at and you can save money by cutting them or they get injured, which I guess is really the same thing. Or there's a personal issue. Or there's a personal issue. And obviously none of those things are concerns with Patrick Mahomes. So the Chiefs, whether the contract is fully guaranteed or not, it's hard to imagine any scenario where the Chiefs would ever be in a position where they say, we would like to move on from Pat Mahomes. And from Pat Mahomes' perspective, he's so good and so young, especially at this stage with his first new contract. It's really hard to imagine him saying, I'll take less money, but I want it to be fully guaranteed. Because in effect, that money is fully guaranteed Hmm. by his play and by, again, assuming he stays relatively healthy. Because even if he gets injured in the first year of his deal, you're not going to cut him. I mean, he's going to be back and you're going to be paying him the year that he's hurt and you're going to expect him to come back fully healthy and playing at an MVP level the very next year. There are a couple of things that are important in quarterback deals specifically. And, And actually, I guess all NFL, all big money deals. These guys care about where they're paid relative to their peers. They do, regardless of what they're saying, regardless of what, you know, they're they they want to be known as the highest paid player at their position it gives them their team is basically saying you are the best player that we could sign and part of what this mahomes contract is going to represent on a big level is the chiefs showing pat the love that they believe that he is the best quarterback in in the sport and if he takes a below market deal to help the team out i i first of all Below market for Pat could still very well be the highest paid at the, in the position. I mean, I, I do think that if he signed a $38 million a year deal, I could consider that being a below market deal. Yeah, me too. But the fully guaranteed part of it, which is the crux of this question, um, I don't really think the Chiefs are too worried about how much guaranteed money there is. I and I don't really think Pat is. I think, I to agree. your point, the guarantee is all about a, an end of the relationship and neither of these parties have any interest in ending this relationship anytime soon, ever, really. Right. I mean, Pat's brought up on his own retiring a chief and the Chiefs have brought up numerous times that their number one goal right now is to make sure that Pat retires a chief. So I, I think at the end of the day, they're both going to sit down. They're both going to talk about his value. They're both going to come to a very agreeable and very quick number that makes sense for both sides and they're going to iron it out absolutely uh so we've got our next one from armchair legend at not josh in you and the question is is signing jones more important chris jones more important than perhaps the combo of fuller pennell and okafor and i mean look chris jones is the single most important player for us to sign this offseason regardless of any other situation that goes on he is going to be the number one 
target for the Chiefs. They have already – there have been reports. I know Kent Swanson tweeted some stuff out um, that said that uh, the Chiefs plan on Chris Jones being a Chief in 2020, regardless of if that's on the tag or whether it's an extension. Um, all that being said, the, the question was comparing Jones to instead of signing Jones, signing Fuller, Mike Pennell, and Okafor. Um, well, and Okafor is already under contract, so that aspect of the question. Um, is he most likely meant Agba. I, I confuse uh, the yeah, two sure. all the time that as well. Agba's a free agent. I think that right. that makes. I even sense. read this question as Agba, even though it says Okafor. <laughs> um, I all three of them balled out this year. I. I I don't think we can afford Fuller at his market value, which there's another question later about uh, Fuller specifically. But my guess, if I'm going to just gut guess this, is that we sign Jones and Pennell and we let Agba and Fuller walk. That sounds that sounds right to me. I mean, I, to me, I think if I'm running the team, I place a lot more value on elite players yeah. as opposed to – because you can get depth. And I think this is where having – a great GM comes into play. You, what you, what you can't find on the waiver wire is a player like Chris Jones. No, you can't find him on any rosters basically other than Aaron Donald. Exactly. What you can do is pay an elite player what they're worth and then fill in the margins of the roster with guys like Dan Sorensen and mm-hmm. Charvarius Ward Mike and Pennell. Mike Pennell. Is it Pennell? Pennell, Pennell, Anyway, he was a street free agent. Uh, I yeah. think he was cut from the Patriots, which is hilarious. Nice. Uh, kind of a, yeah, little turnabout. Got him. Is fair play there. Exactly. Got him. He got his ring. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, I, I value paying elite players what they're worth and trusting your GM to hit on draft picks and hit on those low level, you know, Parker Erringer for Traverius Ward type trades to fill in kind of the the margins of the roster. And we saw it this year, Brett Veach, not only did he hit on all of those moves, but just building the the depth. So when you miss Chris Jones, and Chris Jones misses a couple of games to injury, certainly you're going to take a hit because whenever you have an elite player who isn't on the field, it's going to hurt you a lot more than it would if you're spreading that money across three or four guys. Yeah. I mean, we had to play a playoff game without Chris Jones. (laughs) That's right. We did, but he was healthy when it mattered and he gave us elite production in the Super Bowl. He's part of the reason we have a championship. So that's what I think the, the roster clearly shows the benefit of having a front loaded, a top top loaded talent roster. I mean, they, they might have gotten there on depth, but they won the Super Bowl because of Frank Clark and because of Tyreek Hill and Pat Mahomes and Chris Jones and the the studs being studs. And yeah. that's what you really need is you need your studs to play in the playoffs. It goes back to coaching too, and, and we've spent a lot of time on this question, but it goes back to coaching too, because I think if you have a great coach and a general manager too, but if you have a great coach and a general manager who are on the same page, Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo and all of the assistant coaches are so good at putting role players. This is the Patriots model, right? Like you go out and you sign a guy who nobody else values and you get him to do a specific job and you pay him next to nothing and you get elite players doing elite player things, but you fill out the roster with those guys who you aren't paying a lot of money to because you have the ability as coaches to put them in a position to be successful in a particular role. And I think that's how this team is constructed. And I think in that context, it makes sense to try and pay Chris Jones. So 
Uh, let's go on to the next one. We have Jet Chip Wasp Forever. Love it. At BR Cook 99. There seem to be a ton of free agent cornerbacks, top flight guys, and then also good solid guys. Can you break down the market and who you think fits the Chiefs system in the salary cap situation? Also, we aren't cr- trading Chris Jones, right? Beach isn't dumb. Uh, we'll talk about Chris Jones some more, but just a really quick rundown. You got Josh Norman. He's 33, 15 million. It was his last contract. Who's getting paid 15 million a year. Just got cut by the Redskins. You've got Chris Harris Jr., former Jayhawk, former Bronco. Well, Rock chalk, baby. Current Bronco, I guess, although he, he is a free agent now. 31 years old, uh, $12 million on his last deal. Jimmy Smith, who's 32, which surprised me a little bit. Same. Um, sure. Making $10 million. Logan Ryan uh, with the Titans, 29 $10 million a year. you got Bradley Roby, who's 28. Uh, Akib Tlaib, they're both in that $10 million a year range. And then you got down into uh, kind of some – some lower paid players, some older guys and some younger guys. Jonathan Joseph, Tremont Williams, uh, six million and five million respectively. There, Jarquez Denard, he's twenty nine, so kind of right on the edge of still having a useful shelf life. There, four point five million. Eli Apple, four. Eli Apple should get paid, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I'm not sure how good he is. He heard the very bottom is uh, is Byron Jones, who I think is the top cornerback on the market. Agreed. He's twenty eight. He made two million. He's gonna get. He's gonna get paid. He's gonna make bank. I think for me, the the takeaway here is um, I don't think the Chiefs are gonna. I don't think they can really afford to be big spenders uh, in the cornerback market unless they're for sure gonna get rid of Chris Jones. And I kind of don't know how important it is. I, I think for sure they'll they'll take cornerback in the draft. They'll address the position there. Um, you you obviously need several guys, given that you basically have two guys under contract right now. But I kind of I kind of think with our safety situation being what it is. I mean, with Thornhill and Honey Badger, and then you know you got Sorensen if he sticks around. You know, you know some depth pieces there. Armani Watts. Um, I think you can afford to maybe invest a little bit less in cornerback. I mean, I, the number of people saying that the cornerback was going to doom us this year. Hmm. Uh, it just off the charts. And then it turns out that maybe I think we spent less than $10 million total on cornerback this year. You remember how much we wanted Jalen Ramsey? We won the Super Bowl. I do remember that. Yeah, I do. So I don't know. I, I think um, the cornerback market is definitely something to keep an eye on. I don't know who the last free agent cornerback to sign a huge deal who was actually worth it really is. I mean, the guys that I can think of in the last couple of years, guys like Trumaine Johnson, Josh Norman have all been just huge busts. Bad. Huge, huge busts. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and the free agent market's hard, man. I mean, people think that if you go out and spend money on guys, that means you're going to get a stud. It's just, that's just not really how it works. Right. And I, again, I'm trusting Veach's talent evaluation. And if he sees a free agent cornerback that he goes, dang, we got to get this guy. Like we've got to go out and spend money on whoever Chris Harris, for example, we've, we've both talked about that. We like Chris Harris a lot. He likes the chiefs. Apparently. I mean, he talks about Pat Mahomes all the time. He was a, he was a Jayhawk. So, you know, I think that Chris Harris would make sense. If I found out that the Chiefs signed him, I would be like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. But um, clearly they would have to have already evaluated their entire cap situation before spending that type of money. And, you know, 
if that's the move Brett Veach wants to make in Veach, I trust. We got a question here from Championship Swagger at Brandon422. Expectations for Speaks this year. How do you see Lovett used? Is there a single thing more Mahomes could do to make him more valuable? I'm going to let you answer the Mahomes part of it. I'll tackle this first part. So expectations for Breland Speaks. Um, you know, we didn't get to see a whole lot of him in Spag's system, but it felt like he was coming on. And I think there's a lot of hope for him. Not that they're similar players athletically. They're not. But K-Pass is a guy who sort of fits a similar mold in the sense that uh, K-Pass was basically a draft bust for yeah. until this year. And he was a good player this year. And he, yeah, yeah, he, was. He, he came on. He really provided some some pretty consistent production. And I think you saw uh, at the beginning of camp and in the preseason before Speaks got hurt that he was, he was definitely helped by the change to having an actual defensive coordinator and an actual defensive coaching staff. So I, I'm really interested to see what he brings to the table uh, with respect to Lovett. He's talking about John Lovett, who was a, uh, he was the quarterback at Princeton and then he's listed on the chiefs roster, I believe as a fullback He's also played some tight end with the Chiefs, and he was on IR this whole year. So he's kind of a, an unknown. He's a little bit of a black box. I'll tell you what I would like John Lovett to be. I would like for him to be the Chiefs version of Taysom Hill. Who, Ooh, this is two pods in a row. We've talked about Taysom Hill. We love that dude. I love Taysom Hill. I mean, the thing about Taysom Hill is uh, the unlike the Saints, who have a very limited old quarterback, the Chiefs don't need Taysom Hill. Like they don't need somebody on their offense who can do weird shit and just like with they he's basically the wild card, right? So Taysom Hill's the wild card. Uh, Pat's the muscle, you know, Andy's the brains. We don't need a wild card. You know, nobody needs a player on the field just making rash decisions. Yes. You know, with no logic behind yes. them, but he's capable of anything. You know, could be kind of fun. Could be kind of cool. I feel like he, he doesn't even, like, get us, man. We're talking about you. <laughs> uh, so, John Lovett, I would love if he could turn into our Taysom Hill. You want to tackle this Mahomes part of it? Yeah, I mean, because it's the easiest question we probably got in the mailbag. Um, is there a single thing more that Mahomes could do to make him more valuable? I mean, he could complete every pass, and he could – no. Basically, the answer is no. I think he's the most valuable asset in sports, and I think that he – performs every part of his job to the absolute peak of human performance. And I, I know that just sounds like I'm, you know, Mahomes Homer or whatever, however you want to put it, but I, he just, to me, has proven every aspect of a quarterback that you would want skill-wise. He has proven it in spades. And no, I don't see a hole. I wish I did. I would point it out if I did. I don't. Yeah, the short answer is no. Uh, James McGregor at Mack Truck 2087 I think you all briefly mentioned the possibility of a QB only cap with the new CBA. Any chance y'all could discuss this a uh, little more on your podcast, what it would look like, how it would slash could work. Thanks in advance. Keep up the great work. Thank you, James. We appreciate Thanks, that. James. So Jeremy Fowler said that the owners have brought that up in their discussions in the CBA negotiations, which again, we could have a new CBA tomorrow. We probably won't have one tomorrow, but we could definitely see one this off season. Uh, basically he was reporting that the quarterback money is getting so crazy that they're pretty much talking about the possibility of just making quarterback a separate salary cap. We don't have to hold, spend a whole lot of time on this because this is a hypothetical, but I, I did tweet about this when it kind of the news broke. It's really this would neat. be This would be a hilarious, <laughs> this would be a hilarious advantage for the chiefs. So like if, 
you say every team has $40 million to spend on the quarterback position now. But there's only one QB that's worth $40 million, and it's the Chiefs QB. So if there's a separate salary cap for one position and you have the best player at that position, you're going to max him out. I mean, I guess your backup situation is going to suck. You have to hope that he's not going to get hurt. Although even then, I mean, you could bring in a guy like Matt Moore who would otherwise be coaching high school football, pay him veteran minimum. I mean, dude, every quarterback's going to be maxed out in that deal. Well, exactly. And that's my point is that everybody's going to get maxed out, but only one guy is actually going to be worth getting maxed out. It's really, really cool to have the best quarterback and be looking at this, just like you said, because it basically means that the Chiefs are as as financially head and shoulders over the rest of the league as you could possibly be. Agreed. Because they could field a competitive roster outside the quarterback and then have the best quarterback also. It's a right. It, it's such a boon for us that I almost don't really want to even get my hopes up for it because. Right it would basically signal that the Chiefs were going to dominate the NFL until the day that Pat retires, which is probably already going to happen anyway, let's be honest. But it certainly feels like if that happened, they would realize quickly their mistake when the Chiefs won every game. And there would probably be some sort of immediate overhaul to that deal after they saw that, oh my God, we can't let the Chiefs just have Pat and a whole NFL roster. We just can't do that. So. It would be fun. Um, there, like you said, there's a lot of hypotheticals with there. Uh, we would certainly, we will go in, into every detail of it if it ever comes to fruition. But as of now, it's a pipe dream for Chiefs fans and just uh, it, it's something fun to think about. Uh, the next one we had was from King Chief uh, at King Chi and a bunch of numbers. <laughs> All right, thanks. If anybody's looking them up, there, there's your at. Uh, what free agent wide receiver should we target if both D-Rob and Sammy leave? Will that even need to be addressed if they do leave? If D-Rob and Sammy leave, we've got to get more wide receivers. It doesn't necessarily mean we've got to go nuts. D-Rob like, is definitely going to leave. Definitely. And then the question is whether we will keep What we Sammy. do with Sammy, whether we yeah. structure him. We're not going to keep him at his current value. Right. But if we do decide to move on from Sammy and D-Rob, we're going to be looking at, you know, a, a – a bare wide receiver room. So um, I just quickly listed off some of the impending free agents. Uh, the big name that's been tossed around a lot is AJ Green. That's the one that anybody who's looking for big time wide receiver help. I know the Patriots have already said that he's going to be a target for them. Barf. But anyway, uh, there's also Emmanuel Sanders, Devin Funches, Paul Richardson. Oh, Amari Cooper, of course, who, boy, between Dallas having Dak, Amari Cooper, Byron Jones, they've got they just locked up Zeke. They've got quite a bit of cap situation themselves. They also have Randall Cobb coming off of are going to be a free agent, but I guess that doesn't really matter too much to <laughs> them. Uh, Danny Amendola, Rashad Perriman, Travis Benjamin, Ted Ginn, uh, Geronimo Allison, Philip Dorsett. Robbie Anderson. Robbie, Robbie Anderson. Anderson. Robbie kind Anderson. of an interesting name. Yep, for sure. He, uh, he would fit in very well here, I believe. Um, so Nelson Aguilar, I think he's probably one of the more um, – name recognition ones out there you'll notice about a lot of those receivers that there's not a ton of star power out there there's basically aj green amari cooper and take your pick yeah i mean for me uh a name that you left off of this list which i've i've heard some ties to the chiefs is des bryant um (laughs) des has not been 
a productive NFL wide receiver in several years. And he's definitely a very different type than the the type of wide receivers that the Chiefs have been uh, cultivating lately. He's cultivated some more mass. <laughs> Well, he needs to stop cultivating and start harvesting. He does. But one cool thing about Des Bryant is that he's very into the Chiefs. He uh, He's always uh, tweeting about us, how yeah. much he would like to play here. He's uh, he's always playing our boys in Madden. I know he and Tyreek have played played Madden against each other a couple of times. Right. Um, he would be an interesting uh, acquisition for me if he were, you know, pretty, pretty cost effective. You know, obviously you wouldn't want to give him um, any significant amount of money, but he could be worth uh, maybe kicking the tires on. I would not have a problem with bringing him in. I'm not sure if Des is going to be good, um, but he could be good. He could be good. Um, that's a good question. We'll obviously keep tabs on the wide receiver situation. Uh, Knight of the old code at KC Sith 88. Nice. The thing I'm most interested in right now is the salary cap. Maybe some of the top ways we can save money versus where we are now. So the, the obvious cut candidates, you probably have seen this some other places. Uh, if we cut Sammy, we save $14 million. If we cut Wilson, that's $4.5 million. Dan Swordenson saves us $3.75. So that alone would be $22 million in savings and 8.8 dead cap. I've also heard LDT's name tossed around quite a bit. There definitely is some money that can be, can be saved. And when you're talking about the cap, uh, I know in two years so not uh not this coming season but the season after next we have quite a bit of cap space available so you can always be creative with that and kind of roll some of that that stuff over but as we talked about last time you know the the chiefs have a full-time group of cap uh employees who are much better with that stuff than we are um you know it's their job to manipulate the salary cap and so much of it too is going to depend i know we talked about this a little bit last week so much of it too is going to depend on on what the new CBA looks like. So no kidding. Um, yeah. It, we definitely need to save some money. I mean, there, there are going to be some hits. We can't just go in sure. with the 13 million that we've already got right now. I would consider Sammy for all intents and purposes to already be cut or restructured or some sort of that $14 million we are going to save. Now, whether we invest some of that money back into a Sammy Watkins deal or not is it remains to be seen, but right. uh, I don't think anyone would feel comfortable with him having a base salary next year of close to $14 million. I think that's uh, pretty outlandish for what turned out to be, you know, I mean, he was fine. Uh, our next question comes from Sloan Bright at Sloan Bright, friend of the pod. What up Sloan? Uh, you have both been chief fans for a long enough time. Was there ever a moment in franchise history where you seriously considered jumping ship and writing off the NFL completely? Great question. Um, it's tough to write off the NFL as a lot of people who've been mad at the NFL for a lot of things over the years will attest to. Um, there, It's just so incredibly compelling for so many different reasons that I probably could never, ever quit it. Um, it and I do know that right before Andy came around, if there was ever a time to quit the Chiefs, that was it. Uh, the the Chiefs went 29 and 67 in the six years before Andy got here with only the one playoff game as the 30 to seven wildcard round loss to the Ravens <laughs> being the lone playoff appearance. They had three, four win years and a two win year in there. Uh, the tragedy of Javon Belcher happened right there in December of 2012. It was dire times, but nope, to answer your question, uh, I personally have never considered quitting the Chiefs and can't imagine doing so anytime in my life. Yeah. Um, 
you said Sloan Bright, and yes. I was going to go with Sloan Bright, but Sloan, you're going to have to tell us how to I pronounce your name. I checked in with Sloan. It is Bright. Oh, you did? Yes. Look at you. Yeah, well, you know, uh, doing my homework. Long time, uh, long time follower, friend of the podcast, so huge shout out to her. Um, yeah, so Sloan, I was going to take this question a little bit of a different direction. I would say, as a whole, my uh, love for the NFL has only continued to grow over time. Um, I kind of, I, I, Taylor was a big football fan growing up Since I could in walk. the 90s, and I really wasn't until I got to college. So we're talking, you know, the, the very last part of the Dick Vermeil era, you know, kind of right around the same time. You know, there was that 2000, the 2003 team was 13 and 3 which was also right that was the same year that the Royals had that really weird miraculous fluke season that was a cool time to sort of get into sports as a Kansas City sports fan so that was really for me both for baseball and football was kind of the time that I started becoming interested in it and so for me um, it almost was more like you know the Royals were really bad when I became a fan of the Royals and then sort of progressively got a little bit better not even really progressively. They just were pretty bad. <laughs> and then suddenly they were good, which was cool. Um, so for a long time, I, I kind of didn't really, it wasn't like I was giving up on the Chiefs because to me, it was kind of still like a novelty, like, hey, I'm learning about football. So for me, the closest would actually be kind of year four, I guess, um, of the Andy Reid era, which is weird to say, but um, the the question of whether or not we would ever be able to get over the hump, which I know was a question a lot of Chiefs fans had with Andy even this year. We'll talk about that as we kind of go through the season, you know, the different various points where we were sort of losing faith and losing confidence. But to me, it was, you know, year four of like this Alex Smith, Andy Reid pairing. Will this ever be good enough to get over the hump? Being pretty good every year, but never being good enough to win it all is a really weird experience as a sports fan. It's totally different. It's a totally different kind of suffering from being bad every year and knowing you have no chance to win every year. God, isn't that the truth? Which is also something that we know and understand as Kansas <laughs> City sports fans. But yeah, so for me, um, the last year before we drafted Pat Mahomes was probably the closest that I got, but I, I was never really that close, right? Um, praise be Mahomes at praise be Mahomes. All right, where do I put my feet? That's <laughs> good start. I'm going to get a tattoo of 2-3 Jet Chip Wasp play other than emblazoned across my chest because that's already taken up by a portrait of our Lord and Savior, PM2. Where should I get the tattoo? <laughs> what do you think about this, Taylor? So uh, somewhere you can see it. I, I am not a fan of something that is so important to you that you would get a tattoo and then it's on your back or somewhere that you can't ever see it. I don't get it. I'm not a tattoo guy, but... Uh, I was thinking you'll remember it like the back of your hand for the rest of your life. So why not toss it on the back of your hand? Um, I was also thinking about what a weird phrase that is. I'm not sure I could pick the back of my hand out of a lineup of other backs of hands, but uh, no, that's yeah. neither here nor there. Uh, yeah. Uh, tattoos are crazy, but I would go back a hand. Final answer. Um, I'm not a tattoo guy either. I would probably, I probably get it on my, probably like my upper arm. Like I, I work in a professional setting, so I can't have really have any visible time. Can't have I mean, a champ I, stamp? Uh, champ stamp probably would be out of the question. <laughs> um, I probably would go on my upper arm. Um, that's a good question though. I mean, look, man, wherever, wherever you can display it loud and proud, wear it with pride. Yeah. Um, we've got Tayamu season. You know who he is, obviously. Referencing, yeah, yes, of course. Yeah, we, look, we're, we're XFL fans here. <laughs> that motherfucker just beat me in XFL fantasy this he week. He did, by a bunch. Uh, by a bunch. So I'm very familiar. At Ben Key, 
<laughs> How do you think Darwin Thompson will turn out? Um, I, I kind of feel like we can turn any running back into a pretty serviceable player. And I think he's got a lot of the same tools that made, you know, Kareem Hunt really good. He's not Kareem Hunt, obviously, because if he was Kareem Hunt, we probably would have figured that out already. He probably would have been our starting running back. Let's answer this question that everyone has. 0% chance the Chiefs signed Kareem Hunt again, right? Uh, I give it like maybe a 5% chance. Sure. I, I saw today he said he expects to be back in Cleveland. Um, hmm. Kareem's had a rough go of it. I don't know. You guys probably saw the uh, dash cam where he got pulled over and, you know, it was pretty sad. He basically was throwing a pity party about how he should have been playing for the Super Bowl. He should be in the Super Bowl. Instead, he's getting pulled over by a cop and he's got marijuana and yeah, bad, bad situation there. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think Darwin's got a lot of, um, he's got a lot of the the things that you want out of an Andy Reid back. Uh, The question is, can he pass protect? Because obviously, that's the most important thing for our running backs is being able to protect the franchise. I think just how much of the playbook he, he knows um, it'll be really interesting to see kind of what his role is uh, coming into this year. I agree. Uh, I loved what I saw from him early on in camp and in preseason. I thought this kid was going to light him up this year and it just never really materialized one way or another. Um, I maybe part of that was that they gave so many carries to Shady, and if they had given more of those to Darwin, maybe we would have seen some more flash this year. Um, he kind of got a pass this year for me. He he's got the athleticism. Uh, the one time they really featured him was in that big blowout to Oakland at home, where he got the final forty-four yards of the drive, had a great, powerful touchdown run. Um, he he's he's got the athletic promise I mean he's definitely a, a player uh I would have probably liked to seen him more out of him last season before I really put him on my like hype breakout type of list this year but um good at prospect I like having him our next one comes from Jason Linick at Jay Linick who's the one player from the past that you wish could have gotten a Super Bowl ring so there's obviously with our Chiefs we've got we're in love with tons of our former players uh, you know, the first ones that come to mind, Derek Thomas, RIP, Trent Green, Tony G, Priest, Will Shields, DJ, Barry. I think I go with Jamal on this one. Um, he toiled away on some of those bad teams that we were talking about earlier. He's the, the career rushing leader. Great dude. Always seemed to put the team first. And I would call him the most exciting football player I had seen on the Chiefs until Tyreek and Pat came along. So he, he had the flash, he had the substance, he had the, the career longevity with us. I, I love everything about Jamal Charles, and I wish he would have been on this team. Uh, I would go Jamal, too. I, I, all the same reasons that you gave. I, if, it were, if it were up to me, I would choose Jamal. Close second for me would be, uh, would be DJ. Nice. Um, I mean, all those guys obviously are deserving. Right. And, and frankly, Jamal and DJ might get rings. They signed one-day contracts, so... <laughs> They were technically members of the team. Debo would get a ring too. Yeah, exactly. That's the weird one is Dwayne Bo. You know, you got Jamal and DJ and then Debo. Yeah. Debo okay. was nice. He was a nice player. Sure, the Bo he show. was, but he was, but not not quite on the same level as those other jokes. Certainly not on the same level. Um, we've got a question from Ellie816 at Beth Mason9. If there's a weakness to Mahomes, what is it and how can he get better? Uh, I'd say for me, and I'm being serious here, he obviously, he doesn't really have any weaknesses. He does start slow a little bit sometimes. And, and I think some of that is just his teammates too. Like 
the Texans game, it was almost entirely his teammates' drops. The team does tend to start a little bit slow, especially in some bigger games. Um, obviously, we saw it really in all three of the playoff games. I don't know what that is because Andy is well known for his opening scripts and everything like that. And in 2018, it felt like every single game we were starting with a touchdown. And then in 2019, for some reason, we we were bad on the first drive of games. Here's what I think with the starting slow business. I think what it is is that many NFL teams end up getting blown out every now and then. And Andy just does straight up does not get blown out. Uh, Pat's never lost a game by more than seven. Um, Andy's never – he had the, the game in Dallas with the Hill Mary where we lost by 10, but other than that – he hasn't lost by double digits in forever. Um, they, I think that you see other teams start slow and finish slow, and the Chiefs yes. start slow, but then they catch up. Yes, and, and then other times the Chiefs are right with them or blow them out, and you just think that okay, well they were on fire there. But I think it really is more of a testament of the team's ability to always be in every game. That when they start slow, you think, well, what, what the hell are they doing? Why can't they pick up the pace? But it's just sure. hard to score all the time in the NFL. But that's just it is. That's just my rant on that. Um, as far as Pat's weaknesses, uh, I jokingly thought that his weakness is that he has too many strengths. Um, he, that's a great job interview question, by the way. If anyone out there is uh, applying for a nice job, you'll get a laugh every time if you say that. No, but seriously, uh, he's great against the blitz. He's great for a clean pocket. He's great on the run. He's great at decision-making. He's great at pre-snap reads. He's great at deep shots. He's great at moving defenders around with his eyes. Uh, he's great at backyard football, creating something out of nothing. Uh, he's great when the situation absolutely has to have it. Uh, I, I'm not sure there's a more clutch quarterback in football right now than Pat. In fact, I'm sure that there is not. Um, his game has no holes. And it, it's amazing that he's the Chiefs quarterback and he is basically flawless. But uh, until further notice, that's going to be my answer on Pat's weaknesses. Uh, next one comes from Brian Westhouse at Westhouse. Uh, there appears to be more Chiefs fans in Los Angeles for the Chargers game. Would you expect that for the first Vegas game as well? Vegas holds a dear place in my heart. Um, I've been there 15 or more times in my life. And uh, the tourism population can't be understated. There are absolutely at all times of the year, all hours of the day, there are people walking around with every jersey of every sport you've seen on the strip. Um, they'll, they'll come to Vegas from all over to see their team play the Raiders. I know that much, uh, much more than LA is a tourist spot or I guess, Pasadena or Anaheim or whatever city the Chargers are calling home these days. But uh, the Raiders are going to have a hard time converting Vegas to be a Raiders town, I think. You know, I I have never been to Vegas, so you and I are very different in that regard. I think um, it will be interesting to see what happens because Raider fans have a reputation for traveling well. And how many of them do you think are mad at the team right now? Some of them definitely are, but you know, what's weird about the Raiders is, you know, they moved to LA and back to Oakland and back to LA, mm -hmm. who knows, who knows how many times, but LA is a Raiders city is what I, is what I understand about LA. Part of the reason, you know, uh, the Rams and the Chargers had a little bit of trouble breaking in the most popular team in LA is still the Raiders. And I do think, especially the first season 
I would expect Raider fans to make a pretty strong showing. Uh, what will be interesting is what it'll look like in two or three years from now when the Raiders still aren't good. <laughs> and A lot of pressure on John Gruden, huh? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he's only two years into a 10-year contract, so he's got plenty of time to get it sorted. Uh, it'll be great. I, I, I'm really excited to see kind of how that plays out. Uh, James O'Toole at The Real Tool. What's the outlook on keeping Fuller? We can keep this one pretty short. It's not great. Um, he made himself a lot of money during the playoffs. Um, I do think, I mean, I think the Chiefs are definitely interested. I think they'll definitely have that conversation, especially since Fuller kind of proved himself capable of playing multiple defensive back positions. I think that's something that the Chiefs really value. Yeah, we got him as a slot corner and he ended as a safety. Yeah, but I think he's one of those guys that um, it's going to be really tough to see uh, the Chiefs retain. I love this question. This is from Jesse Williams from Uncle Groiper. Um, if you could bring back one offensive lineman from the 2003 team, which had probably the greatest offensive line of all time, mm. who would it be and who would you replace on the current offensive line? So just to recap, from the 2003 team, we've got Willie Rofe, Brian Waters, Casey Wigman, Will Shields, and John Tate. And on the current offensive line, you had a little bit of a rotating door in the middle, but you had on the left side, Eric Fisher, on the right side, Mitchell Schwartz. And in the middle, some combination of Austin, uh, Andrew Wiley, uh, Austin Ryder, Stefan Wisniewski, and LDT. So Don't forget Cam Irving. Well, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about Cam Irving. <laughs> uh, who, would, who would your pick be? Uh, you know, I'm thinking of it in terms of what would make the line the best, which I think of is course. what the question is. Not necessarily right. who do I miss the most. I miss as a person the most Willie Rowe. Of course. And Will Shields was obviously great too. Um, I think our weakness probably lied at center the most. Um, I don't really have anything against Austin Ryder as a center, but I do think that I was really happy with Steven Wisniewski. I was obviously Mitchell Schwartz is the dude. Um, and then between Fisher and LDT, I just felt like if we've, put Casey Wigman in there at center instead of Austin Ryder. That is, that is a line without much weakness. And uh, I think that's probably if I were to plug and play and go try and win a game today, that's who I would go with. But you could probably convince me of pretty much everyone except for John Tate for Mitchell Schwartz, which would be laughable. Yeah, that that's the only one where it would be an obvious downgrade from, from the uh, 2019 line to the 2003 line there on the right side uh, at right tackle. Um, yeah, I think your take on this is correct. You're obviously the question here is not who is the best player and put the best player on the team, but but where the biggest gap is there. Mm -hmm. I would probably take one of the guard. I mean, I would probably say Brian Waters or Will Shields for me. Plug him in for well, if you're going to do that, one of, Will Shields, one of those guys. Well, sure, of course. Waters was uh, awesome, but Shields is a first ballot, amazing Hall of Famer. Yeah, so I'd say probably Shields in for whatever goofball we have playing. <laughs> at right guard on any given week, obviously a rotating door there. The thing about interior offensive linemen is, you know, since you've got a guy on either side, if you've got an elite interior guy, either at center or at one of the guard positions, he's making those two guys around him. Not that he's making them better, but he's making he's their job him. easier. And so, you know, I think for either of those guard spots, um, I think that's, that's where I would go with it. But we had similar, similar responses there. That is fair. Um, we're going to get into kind of more of the, uh, you know, a uh, little bit more offbeat section of the mailbag. We've got another question from Peter Yadrich at Peter Weigolf. It's a good one. Uh, and shout out to Peter. He sent me a copy of the Kansas City Star, 
which was really nice of him since I no longer live in town. So thank you for that, Peter. I'll shout you out on the podcast. Here's his question. If the earth were to be invaded by aliens, a la Independence Day, how many footballs would Patrick Mahomes need to pierce the Shields hull and then take down a ship? I mean, last week he last week he asked us about the potatoes. So my understanding is that Peter is trying to test our cognitive processes. He's uh, really interested in how we answer. I this think question. he's trying us out for some sort of job, and he hasn't he might quite be. said what the interview is for yet. Yeah, or it's a, an experiment of some kind. Yeah, for sure. I don't. <laughs> I don't think he'd be foolish enough to throw footballs at them. Uh, the government for sure would hook him up with some sort of like adamantium harpoon or something with a little bit more punch to it. Um, I think it takes him one throw to get adjusted, get the weight down, see what, see it fly, see what the wind resistance is like. And then that second one, baby, that's going straight to the heart. So I think it takes him two throws, mothership down, earth saved, bada bing. That's beautiful. I, I can't top that answer. And <laughs> so you won't even try. And last week I gave such a lazy response to his question. You know, I, I said I had mashed potatoes, which was such a, I didn't think about it. And then he basically was like, so you're going to be skinned and then boiled alive and then smashed up into little pieces. And I was Yikes. like, well, yeah, I obviously I didn't, I didn't think that went through. So I'm not going to participate in your little games and schemes. schemes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to the next question. So the next one comes from Graham dog faced pony soldier, Peterson at Graham Peterson. And that is how likely is it that Philip Rivers signs a one-year deal with the Chiefs just so he can watch Mahomes from the sideline and finally get a Super Bowl ring? <laughs> Obviously hilarious. Uh, if your question is likely, you know the answer to that. But just thinking about Philip Rivers being so desperate for a Super Bowl ring to go on his Hall of Fame resume that he's been trying and trying and trying for, that he goes to the rival that he's never been able to beat in the city that he's never been able to win in with the team that breaks his heart over and over again and watches the young up-and-coming MVP go win a Super Bowl from the sideline. I, I could inject that directly into my veins. Next question comes from the artist chief at Corey04. <laughs> X-Factor retires today. One of you has to wear his complete outfit unwashed from previous <laughs> usage and take up the mantle for one game at Arrowhead or the Chiefs never win another game. Who does it and how does that day go for you? So we were going through these and preparing kind of some talking points and you just volunteered. Look, Austin, this is me by a country mile. Uh, for those, uh, Austin and I already attended a non-Halloween game where I was dressed in full costume. I, at, at the very first home game of Pat's career against San Francisco, shout out to the 49ers, love you guys. Um, I dressed as Pat in full garb with the wig and with the headband and with all that stuff. And I had a, a blast. Everybody uh, responded to that really well. And in general, I, I have a much higher tolerance for that sort of personal hellscape than Austin does. So I felt that I was a easy choice there. And while X dressing as X factor sounds horrible on Twitter, I think you're probably overestimating how many Chiefs fans actually know the X Factor story. I could be wrong, but I think that if you're outside of the like informed Chiefs blogosphere area, you probably have no idea who X Factor is, right? I well, it, there certainly are a number of members of the media who seem to have no idea about, yeah, about X Factor. They show him on stuff. <laughs> he keeps getting shown on things, and he keeps getting interviewed, and yeah. people take pictures with him. So when you answered that question, I was just making sure that you knew about the X Factor thing. It sounds like you did. You're cool with wearing his, his costume. Ugh. 
I'm fine. The worst part is definitely the unwashed part. If he hadn't said unwashed, (laughs) I would have jumped at that chance, but unwashed, I would the whole day, I would just be itching to get out of that. But I mean, you know, look, and he said the chiefs would never win a game if you don't do it. So this is the world at stake here. Right. And I clearly am not more important than the future of the chiefs franchise. Uh, By the way, the chiefs would win that game against the Broncos 42 to 10 payday Mahomes at payday Mahomes, which is a great, uh, he's got a very Mahomes payday question for us. He says, thoughts on a new contract idea, $1 million per touchdown pass. Very Dr. Evil question of you. Um, the handle is certainly on the nose. Uh, it would have to have some sort of injury clause in it of some kind. And, and for cap purposes, it would also have to have a maximum payout. But the biggest fan of this idea, I think, would be Pat. Um, not only for the money making, but because he's the team player and he doesn't really feel accomplished unless the team is doing well. So I think him putting putting the the points scored, putting his money where his mouth is, so to speak, uh, I think that's right up his alley. That'd be hilarious. Uh, I would be okay with it. And then I would definitely get into shenanigans. Like I would definitely see like how few touchdown passes Uh, can we get Pat to throw (laughs) while still you kind of maintaining an elite offense. You'd have like 35 rushing touchdowns. Yeah. That's the only reason why I would ever, (laughs) would ever run the ball. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's, that would be an interesting one for sure. So we've got a question here from Andrew Sampson at Sampy 2006. This is right up our alley. Please assign chief starters to always sunny characters. <laughs> I apologize if you already did this one. So we came up with this. Uh, it's hard to compare always sunny characters to real life people because the characters on this show are ridiculous, but we took a whirl at it. Taylor, do you want to start us off? <laughs> yeah, sure thing. So the, the first People that came to my mind, um, I got to figure out who Pat reminds me of. And uh, I kind of went with Charlie that route. Uh, He's kind of the unreluctant focus of attention. And despite his demeanor, he's actually extremely good at everything he does. I know Charlie is illiterate, but, you know, he's got the quote, I can't, I can read and write. I just don't like to read and write. Um, And Charlie has got many, many moments of absolute brilliance from Charlie work to Charlie rules the world, things where he clearly steps out of his like illiterate doofus um, shell. And uh, I thought Charlie and Pat were a pretty easy marriage there. That is an unconventional choice, but I will co-sign on that. Charlie has a lot of uh, untapped natural talent. I mean, you know, he just, uh, keyboards just make sense to him in the same way that footballs just make sense to Pat. It makes sense to me. <laughs> um, so I had Andy Reed and I went with the obvious choice, I think, which is Frank, Frank Reynolds, <laughs> the, the, trash uh, man. The, the trash man, the mastermind and the coil. Uh, Andy is the obvious choice for Frank because as they tell Frank in uh, dances, their asses off, he's the best at scheming and he is the best at scheming. He's the best in the league. Uh, he's also, you know, he's the, uh, he's the brains. He's the brains, of the operation. He's the, uh, the elder statesman of the group. And uh, the one that kind of leads Big them red. into, yeah, and he kind of gets them into, into a lot of different hijinks, right? So I, I feel like Andy was the obvious choice there. Okay, so then I was thinking, well, who's quick enough to be Ty? Tyreek has his own set of uh, physical traits that are pretty much unmatched. And I was also thinking about Ty's um, unfortunate public relations situation. And so I went with Ty as Ricky Cricket. Uh, surprisingly quick for his stature. He went through a PR nightmare and is viewed extremely negatively by those who don't understand his full story. So that's kind of the, the tie cricket situation. Uh, 
Yeah, and it, it, Cricket in um, Manhunters displays some incredible speed and agility. <laughs> how so, did his legs do that? How did his legs do that? Something that I ask myself whenever I see Tyreek run. Uh, so Sammy Watkins, we've been talking about Sammy a lot in this episode, and we want somebody uh, wanted somebody who can sort of just pop out of nowhere and deliver a good time, good laugh, uh, really contribute to the series but is going to be kind of invisible just in the background most of the rest of the time. So we went with Artemis on this one. Um, she does just kind of come out of nowhere, you know, whether she's uh, appearing as desert grape or, you know, uh, determining who pooped the bed. She delivers some real uh, highlights, just like Sammy Watkins does very occasionally. I bet it is a mess down there. <laughs> uh, and Sammy, I feel like like Artemis likes to feel like Cobb salad. <laughs> Sammy, of course, is a whole different species. He's convinced he's not human. Uh, you know, he's he's the Lizard King, man. So I, I feel like that was a pretty on-point comparison there. Love our Lizard King. Um, then I was thinking about Tyron Matthew, Honey Badger, or as he's also been affectionately known this year, the Landlord. So I went with the Landlord in Always Sunny, Huang, who is – doesn't have a ton of parts, but he's hilarious, especially his interactions with Frank. Um, he's got this great bit She's where he's just smashing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he says, quit playing games with me, Frank. I don't like games. You know what I like? The sandwich. It's got snake meat. Like, he's just insane. And that's kind of Honey Badger in a nutshell. And obviously, they've, uh, they've both, they both collect rent. So, easy. So, I got Frank Clark, right? And uh, Frank Clark, he talks a lot of smack, but he also has the capital to back it up. Uh, he also can be unspeakably crass on the field in his interview, uh, but he does humiliate people and then is able to back it up. So I went with one of the great one-off characters in the history of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and that is Roxy the Prostitute. Uh, Frank's Pretty Woman. Frank's Pretty Woman. And uh, I can definitely see f uh, Frank Clark saying, this jacket is tighter than dick skin. <laughs> I mean, tell me you couldn't hear him say that. I'm pretty sure he has said that at some he point. He probably has. Life. It definitely was bleeped out. He probably said that in an interview with James Palmer on <laughs> NFL Network. Or James it Palmer. Bleeped and, yeah. uh, I was thinking for Kelsey, uh, I think Dennis is a pretty good match for him there. They're obsessed with their looks, or maybe not obsessed, but at least definitely look conscious. Uh, they love the party. They can get a little too psycho, but like in a funny, good way um kelsey's definitely the center of attention and that's clearly dennis as well uh you know dennis is looking for that male 30 looking for a threes company type deal did the odd couple thing looking for something new that's kind of that that's trav in a nutshell for me so i thought that was a pretty pretty slam dunk i could definitely see travis walking through a mall and saying does anybody want to experience this does <laughs> anybody want to experience me <laughs> Um, I'm going with uh, Cameron Irving, and he was my choice for Mac. So Mac sees himself as the sheriff of patties. Uh, he thinks that he's the one providing the security. And Cam Irving definitely sees himself that way, too. You can see this uh, whenever somebody is trying to hit Pat late or, you know, is trying to come after him on the sideline. Cam Irving is always there. Always. However, uh, as with Mac... Cam Irving is actually very bad at providing protection to the other members of the team. Uh, he's not really the sheriff of Patty's or the, the sheriff of the chiefs because he's actually like a revolving door 
uh, when he gives an ocular pat down, it usually results in a sack. <laughs> that is perfect. And uh, obviously, you know, try and move me, bro. <laughs> That's very... Uh... Very camp, very camp, very camp. And then finally, um, when I say D, who do you think of first? Do you think of D Reynolds or do you think of D Ford? Because, uh, you know, we, we, we're thinking about D for a little bit. Uh, nobody really misses when they're gone. Always blows it in a big situation. Looks like a bird. I think D Ford here is a slam dunk. I know you said compared Chiefs players. You know, we, we've got our own beef with D. Uh, I'm going to go with D Ford and D Reynolds. D Ford is sort of like uh, us trading D Ford to the 49ers. I feel like is us forcing the 49ers to drink a cup of poison. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Gang reignites the rivalry. That's a classic. So we also had a couple of little, little trolley type questions, uh, which is biggest John Elway's teeth, John Elway's forehead or John Elway's level of terribleness. This is by KG chief at KG under chief. For sure, for me, it's John Elway's terribleness. Uh, I don't really care about his looks. A lot of people make fun of him for looking like a horse, representing a horse franchise, being a horsey guy, whatever. That's all well and good. But what they should be focused on is his overall terribleness, both as a quarterback first and later as a GM. Yeah, I mean, if you listen to the first episode, uh, you know that John Elway was actually not a very good quarterback. In fact, he actually might have been bad question mark um if you haven't listened to the first episode this is another opportunity for me to plug that there's a great elway roast at the end Which, i'm very by the proud way, of it i will be making it as a separate entry to the podcast if you just want to hear about the last 30 minutes of that 90 minute banger of a first episode uh, i will have an elway roast segment separate that you can play when you've got denver friends over if you're really just feeling down about yourself or something you can just pop that on and, and mm. jam Sounds great. We've got a question from Mahomes is better than your QB, except my QB is Mahomes. So gotcha. At Chiefs Rule 2019, will Elway ever learn to cook a steak? Seriously, thoughts on Locke in Denver and are the Broncos legit next year compared to the dumpster fire as of late? Uh, I actually am going to go to Elway. So for any of you that uh, live in the Denver area, I have a reservation for Elway's March 1st at 7 o'clock. I am going to be going in full Chiefs regalia. It is restaurant week that week. So if you're concerned about giving money to John Elway, the price will be a little bit less. And if you are concerned about giving any money at all to John Elway, I would encourage you to come join me at Elway's. March 1st at seven o'clock and simply order a tap water and uh, <laughs> wear evil. your, wear your cheese regalia, but do leave a tip for the waiter because you know, they're paid on tips. Um, you know, just give the waiter 20 bucks, order tap water. It'll be great. Maybe we can make the local news. It'll be fun. Uh, with respect to Locke uh, and the Broncos, um, I can tell you what the Broncos think about Locke and their chances in the division next year. They think that this was a uh, one year aberration and that they're going to be back to being King Dix of the division next year. Uh, they aren't. I mean, Locke could be okay. Uh, he certainly has some physical tools. Um, they actually do have some surprisingly decent skill players. Their offensive line is still terrible. Um, and I think the biggest difference between the Chiefs and Mahomes and Locke and the Broncos is that the Chiefs had Andy Reid. And the Broncos have, I guess, Pat Shermer now. Okay. <laughs> whatever um they're definitely going to to try and emulate kind of what we did the other thing about the broncos is and we'll probably 
get more into like we might do like a Broncos roast at some point. You know, I, I don't know what it is. We'll we'll certainly be talking we'll certainly be talking about how the Broncos suck in more detail at a future date. But here's the thing the Broncos defense isn't even that good anymore. So like their their idea since they won the Super Bowl with defense five years ago has been every year since then they've been like, well our defense is a Super Bowl winning defense. So we just need to be okay on offense and we'll win the Super Bowl again. Here's the thing. Their defense hasn't been Super Bowl worthy since they won the Super Bowl. And that was five years ago, right? right. Like the pieces are getting older. The secondary is completely different. Keep Tlaib gone. Chris Harris gone. You know, the no fly zone, that's not a thing anymore. They're kind of pulling classic Chiefs where they are good on defense and crappy on offense and then good on offense and crappy on defense. And they haven't really haven't really hit them both at the same time in quite a while. Yeah. And, you know, even Von Miller, I mean, Von Miller's getting old. Mm -hmm. He's on the wrong side of 30. Um, I don't know. I'm not very worried about the Broncos. Um, I really don't think, I don't think they're going to be a dumpster fire. And frankly, I think that's good for the Chiefs because a dumpster fire means they get a good draft pick. I think they'll be, I think they'll be fine. You know, they, they, eight and eight. Yeah. They could finish second in the division again. Um, Yeah. But second in this division after us is, uh, it's not a very high bar to clear. A distant second. Woof. Yes. Next, we had uh, Andrew Funk at Funkatron JD. What hurt Houston fans more? <laughs> Sorensen's fake punt stuff or Correa's whiffing the double play ball on the top of the eighth in 2015. So just, you know, the Astros have been on everyone's mind lately with all the cheating stuff that's gone on Oof. and all yeah. their, their public enemy number one in sports right now. And, and I just feel that it is uh, prudent that we take a little bit of time to bag on the Astros because I – First of all, I don't think the 2015 Astros or the 2019 Texans really had too high hopes for their teams. At least I don't, I mean, I mean, right? Like they didn't, neither of those teams were the team to beat. They were both road teams in the playoffs. They weren't one seeds. They weren't dominant or anything. They were just, they were fine. They were just part of the party. Yeah, and the Astros, correct me if I'm wrong, but the 2015 Astros, was that their first year back in the yeah, playoffs? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. They were good. Like, they were a playoff team in baseball, but it's not like they were the 16 or 17 Astros or whatever that, well, I guess the reason they were good is because they were cheating. Hell, they were probably cheating in 2015 too. Who knows? But uh, point being, Correa's whiff cost them that game and eventually that series. And the fake punt, while it was huge and it kept the momentum going for the Chiefs, the Chiefs were down 24-7. All they had to do at that point after the fake punt was just stop the Chiefs a couple times and go execute on offense. There was still plenty of game left. That wasn't as much as everyone says that that was the turning point of the game. And I do think that hindsight being 2020, you can look at that as the moment where the Chiefs started playing well. But like they had to, the Chiefs had to string up play after play after play to end up coming back from that. Whereas the Royals were down 6 4 in the eighth, bases loaded, no out, double play ball to Correa. And that's going to be a one-run game with a runner on third and two out. At worst, the Royals probably tie it if they could get the runner in from third and two out. But instead, they take the lead and they beat the Astros in Houston and end up winning at home. I just think that the Astros blew it way worse than the Texans. Yeah, I mean, it's hard because the the nature of the sport is different, obviously, with the NFL being a one-game sure you know, one game playoff, but I mean, the Astros definitely had it. Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas hmm. tweeted them congratulations. Right. Uh, and then they ended up not winning the he game. Actually, didn't he tweet both the Astros and the Rangers when the Rangers had the blue Jays down and then the blue Jays <laughs> yeah. had the Bautista bat flip and walk off and all that stuff. And they ended up, it was Royals blue Jays instead of Astros Rangers. Yeah. I mean, his sports prediction record has not been (laughs) terrific. Um, I I, I agree with that. And And the Royals would have lost the series if they lose that game. So even though it is a series, that was 
the, the Astros were up. I mean, that would have yeah, been Yeah, in terms of like series win expectancy, it's got to be surely has to be the Astros with a bigger with a bigger blown lead there. Um, this is a good one from Nicole at Nick underscore Y. Power rank your five most irksome fan bases since Mahomes won MVP last year. So you and I actually have a different, we have at least a, a difference of opinion after number one. Yeah. Obviously our number one is the same as everyone in sports. Yeah. It's, it's still the Patriots. Always um, will be the Patriots. It always will. Well, it won't always be. the. Well, Patriots. no, you're right. It, that's true. <laughs> They're about to go bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of the reason why they be, they've become so irksome uh, in their, their final hours, uh, the, the waning hours of their dynasty, they have become extremely salty and they know it's, they know it's already gone. To be honest with you, I think we've seen the last of the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I don't think they're ever getting back, certainly not in their current form. Um, and I think deep down the Patriots understand that too. Now, second, you have the Ravens, Ravens question mark. For me, it's the Broncos and it's not close. Yeah, I I thought about it afterwards and uh, the Ravens have just been weird, but they haven't been irksome. The Broncos are always going to be that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I amend my answer at number two to the Broncos as well. Okay. Well, good. So we're on the same page there. It for sure is the Broncos. And honestly, I don't know that there's a huge gap between the Broncos and the Patriots. Think about the Patriots as while their dynasty is over and it will never come back. At least they had a dynasty recently. <laughs> yeah, for the, sure. The Broncos act like I literally all day today, um, I've had some Broncos fans arguing that they have the fourth most Super Bowls, hmm. even though there are six teams that have more Super Bowls than them. Strange. Yes. I don't know how the math works out on that, but that's, that well, doesn't. just gives you. That's exactly. how it works out. It doesn't. Yes, that's exactly right. So that's just to give you a taste of what Broncos fans are like, the level of entitlement there. And the first two Super Bowls with John Elway, they totally cheated. They <laughs> circumvented the salary cap. They had draft picks docked. They were fined $2 million. Okay. Like, and they have the most Super Bowl losses of all time. And they have the worst Super Bowl point differential of all time. You know, like if we win the Super Bowl next year, we will have the same number of championships as the Broncos in like six fewer attempts. Yeah. Right. Like yep. it's going to be they're They're terrible. So number three, um, you definitely could. This is where you're starting to get into, you know, there's a debate. You could maybe put the uh, the Ravens in there. Um, although, you know, come back to me when you you do beat something us with Lamar. Yeah. Like or win a playoff game right. one or the other. Well, I think that's um, what put them so high for me is mm, that fair, fair. they just don't really like I get being stoked about Lamar for sure I'm stoked about Lamar he's cool but like the their level of confidence despite not having done anything significant on the football field is really where I just started getting sick of him yeah and I mean like we were certainly that same way about Pat but at least Pat like <laughs> he got, proved it <laughs> he at least got to within a coin flip of the Super Bowl in his first season right Lamar blue yeah, Pat's won four playoff games yeah and won a playoff game in his first year which Lamar didn't do or his second year which Lamar didn't do mm -hmm. um yeah I think um you get into obviously the the division rivals the Raiders you know you could maybe throw in there the Chargers don't have fans so I pretty much just put Raiders there for Raider Cody I think that's yeah. really like he's <laughs> totally he's fair. basically their whole fan base at this point right. and is, uh true. you know he says enough dumb stuff every day that I felt like putting him up there so number five, you have the 49ers, which LOL. Yeah. Uh, I think that's completely fair. Uh, there, it's going to be interesting to see um, 
how that relationship develops over time because I can tell you I'm still very salty about uh, the San Francisco Giants. Like I still have a lot of hatred in my heart for the San Francisco Giants for what they did to the Royals in 2014. And And the Royals won it the next (laughs) year. And we don't play the Giants ever. And I don't even really watch baseball that much anymore. And I still have a lot of hatred for the Giants. So I guess maybe we're going to be that for the San Francisco 49ers now. Well, it serves Um, them right. San Francisco did that to us. We did it right back to them. Exactly. Exactly. We're even. Um, We've got a couple questions here just to wrap up, just kind of some, some offbeat stuff. We've got a food question here. At Parker Paget asks, "What's your food of choice during the game? You wanna you wanna give them your answer?" I'm not much of a during the game eater. I don't really get up and go in Arrowhead. I don't really chow down on a bunch of stuff at my house. Um, but Austin and I certainly have a Q39 Pitmaster brisket on order before and or after every Chiefs game. So that's that's the go-to for sure. Taylor and I have different personalities when we watch the game. So Taylor doesn't like to eat really at all during the game. Mm-hmm. I'm a very nervous eater. Like I, I will eat just to be doing something. Um, and it's very unhealthy, but um, in addition to the pregame and or postgame Q39, um, there's a great bacon cheddar ranch dip at your local ah, high V grocery sponsor, the Kansas city chiefs. That's a great option. Uh, I do like to consume that during the game with a chip. You know, if I'm feeling, um, if I'm feeling, you know, unhealthy, then I try to kind of counterbalance that by eating it with carrots. You know, I'll dip a, a carrot in the cheese and ranch and bacon, you know, um, transaction there. Try to balance that out a little bit. Um, but yeah, that's kind of one of my go-tos. Um, when I'm watching the game at Taylor's house, there's a high V right by his place. So, you know, I can go pop over there, get my dip, get my chips and just kind of roll. Um, but I do like to, I mean, like I'm pretty much constantly eating during the game. It's just like a, it's a stress thing, you know? Yeah. I kind of like nervously don't eat. I'm, I eat all the time outside of football games. And, uh, I just feel like for some reason my focus is, and I mean, you know, if we're blowing somebody out or whatever, that's a different story. But if it's like, if there's a playoff game or whatever, like I just am so laser focused, freak out about the game that it just doesn't really cross my mind. Final question on the mailbag. So and it's a good one. So shout out to everybody who submitted answers. Uh, you obviously gave us the full podcast content this week, so we appreciate it. Bro Montana at MJ Grafton asks us, any superstitions? I had to change shirts after the third quarter of the Super Bowl. You're welcome, Chiefs Kingdom. Well, Bro Montana, Austin and I uh, are very, very outspoken, anti-superstitious uh, personalities, anti-superstitious results. Basically, anytime anyone says, don't talk about a no-hitter, shut up, knock on wood, they haven't won it yet till the fat lady sings, all that stuff, yeah. you're, you're, you're wrong. That's not how the universe works. We have no right. impact on anything that's happening. Enjoy your stuff. If you want to celebrate that the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl at the six-minute mark of the game, go for it. If you want to wh- – whatever floats your boat, man – fine with me. You're not impacting my game. You're not impacting my team. There are going to be plenty of people on the other side of the boat that are going to be doing the same thing for their team. And it doesn't, there's just, I don't wear lucky socks. I don't wear, it's not, not my game. Um, I will say, first of all, that I personally, if you're interested, um, bro, Montana, I personally have like 10,000 examples of me saying something is going to happen before it happens 
and then it does happen. Mm-hmm. So I talked frequently about how the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, and they did, and it was fine. Um, I will say, I mean, you were saying, Taylor, you don't have lucky socks or anything like that. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't believe that anything that I do affects the game. That being said, I, I do have some, I don't want to say superstitions, but sort game of like, attire. yeah, sort of like game day traditions. So for sure. example, this year, we both tried to consume a bowl of Mahomes Magic Crunch each game day morning. We'll make an adjustment to it and we'll make a tradition out of it. Yeah, we, <laughs> thanks, Charlie. I didn't end up doing it every, every game day. And I can tell you whether I did or did not consume it did not have any bearing on the outcome of the game. It wasn't like the couple of times I forgot to do it, we lost. That did not happen. Well, yeah, have you lived in the universe before? Like, yes, I have. There, yes, there's just two, you know, like, like bad luck, Chuck. Like, I get it. It was a funny, cute little story. He left the game. He tweets about the game or whatever. And then we come back and win. But like, man, if anybody out there thinks that that kid actually shouldn't go to a game at Arrowhead ever again, because we're not going to win as long as he's in attendance, including him thinking that you're just you're you're out of touch. That guy shouldn't go to a game ever again because I'm so infuriated by the idea that anybody would think that that has anything to do with the game. He should be banned for life. We can't we can't do it. We can't do it. Nope, we're not going to entertain those questions, um, but we will entertain every other question that you guys have for us. So <laughs> we very much appreciate all the love from the first episode. Uh, we're going to, you know, we're going to try and uh, recap all these weeks for you guys once a week from here on out. And um, if you have any other questions for us, if you have any issues listening to the pod, if you've got any criticism, constructive or otherwise, our ears are always open. We're trying to, you know, improve this thing week by week. So just give us a holler. You know our Twitter handles, but for those of you who might have forgotten them or tuning in for the first time i'm at taylor underscore wit i'm at real bird lawyer please direct all of your technical support questions to at taylor wit (laughs) he is the only person who does any editing or hosting or any of the technical things that have to do with this podcast all i do is show up and talk it's a pretty sweet gig we will be back uh this time next week and we'll have uh we'll have some chief stuff that we'll talk about it's always sunny in chief's kingdom Thank you.